G'day Fisters, and welcome to the seventh episode of The Fist, the whole fist and nothing but the fist, so help me pod, the official Fistball Australia podcast, uh, or for those with a love of workplace acronyms, I need those TFTWFANBTFSHMPTOFAP reports on my desk ASAP. I'm your host, Chris Super Mario Milne, and I am again joined by my world-famous co-host, environmental activist and Hollywood powerhouse, Leonardo Mr. Fister DiCaprio. Ah, yes. Thanks very much. And uh, thanks for pronouncing DiCaprio correctly. That was a nice change. <laughs> Doing what I can. So yeah, obviously that's a, that's a hint back to the previous episode where someone commented on your dashing good looks. Um, but we should talk about the last episode. But before we even talk about it, you know, usually we talk about the feedback and the lessons learned and all that. But I actually want to start this one with just an honest shout out. And uh, I want to do a shout out to all of our German listeners because... This is an English language podcast, and we did that podcast with Nick last week, and it is already our most listened podcast by a country mile. It, uh, it just it went it just went off last week. As soon as we posted it, we set a bunch of records. We had the most listens in a single day, which was seventy two listens in one in the day that we released the podcast. Uh, the previous record was thirty seven, so almost doubled it. Uh, within four days, it's our highest rating podcast, and it's currently sitting at one hundred and thirty three listens, I think, which is uh, well and above our previous top listen uh, rating. So, thank you to all our German uh, listeners. We greatly appreciate you. Now you make up 32% of our listeners. It's only just below Australia, which is kind of incredible. So obviously, uh, we probably need to get some more Germans on this podcast. <laughs> what do you think, Mal? Yeah, yeah, that's is good, no? Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, no, that's um, it was it's amazing. I couldn't I couldn't believe the reaction to it and how and how quickly it's grown. Like obviously, we sort of expected that you'll probably get a few more people in um, once we had Nick on there, but yeah. I couldn't have expected it to to do what it's done so in the five days, whatever it is that's already been out there. So that's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, and it wasn't even that. Um, it wasn't even that. It was just a token German that we got on. We got Nick, who is obviously a world champion, but also a very funny guy, and uh, definitely was not devoid of humor. So that's good. Yeah, well, that's that was probably one of the things where, you, where you're like, oh yeah, we'll get get a German on, and you think, oh. Yeah, it could be good, but if yeah, if it's sort of a bit stilted with you know the language barrier and whatever, it, it might be a bit bit tough. But yeah, obviously, I didn't realise that um, he was an English teacher, so that, <laughs> that helps makes a little bit of difference. And um, and yeah, he's a very funny guy. So yeah, no, that that was really good. It was a it was a good time. It was a nice uh, three hours or whatever we spent um, <laughs> yes. chatting with him. Definitely worth it for sure. Another point though on the last episode, not even the last episode, before the last episode was released, New Zealanders. I think they're. Their little Kiwi senses must have been tingling when we were recording that episode with Nick because we hadn't even released it yet. It was just the days following our recording of the podcast. There was this incredible rush of listens from New Zealand onto our podcast as if they sensed that we were trash talking them across the uh, across the Tasman. <laughs> so now they're well and truly in our top five where they should be uh, in fourth position behind the Americans. So uh, I guess that's just their competitive nature, right? Yeah, well, we had a bit of a head start in our fistball journey to the Kiwis and they've rapidly overtaken us. So maybe that's what's going to happen with the podcast since too. They'll they'll release their own podcast with many millions of viewers shortly and we'll look stupid, but we'll trash talk them while we can. Yeah, absolutely. We do appreciate you though, Kiwis. Uh, keep coming back, would you? All right. We do have a, a guest on the podcast uh, this time around. I'm going to do a little intro, Mal, that I've uh, written here. I've actually taken a little bit of uh, this intro from his original intro to the world, in the fistball world, I should say. 
All right, here we go. Well, given last week's record-breaking podcast episode featuring an international fistball superstar, we've decided to back it up with probably the biggest fistball superstar currently going around. It's common knowledge that at the exact moment this man first punched a fistball over the net in the name of Australian sporting misadventure, the entire power grid of inner Melbourne went down and wasn't restored for six days. Popular folklore within the Australian fistball community suggests that his right fist actually absorbed the city's electrical circuitry, and the resultant power surge from his thunderous serve short-circuited the whole network. A true icon of Australian sport, one that has earned his place alongside other such Australian sporting legends such as Cameron Bancroft, Paul Briggs, Alex Lang and of course Shane Warne. The joint Australian fistball cap record holder with 33 appearances for Australia, this international man of history has played IFA sanctioned fistball tournaments in Europe, South America, Africa, Asia and Oceania. Probably the only fistball player in history to do so. A lover of trains, gambling and punching fistballs into oblivion, he is the one man that Patrick Thomas fears. Other than Benny, shout out to Benny, he's probably the most mentioned person on this podcast and he's here to respond to every single one of those mentions. Welcome to the podcast, Lee, the Power Station Moroni. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you very much for <laughs> inviting me on tonight. I, uh, well, I, I've never had such a long introduction and such uh, some a well-accomplished introduction. I was unaware of most of those things myself, so <laughs> thank you. I um, look. I just want to uh, just say when I was given the opportunity to come on on the show with um, uh, Kurt Milner, uh, I think it is, and uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio, I jumped at it. So so a big thank you. Um, and it's the the most popular fistball podcast in the southern hemisphere i hear that's correct that's correct also um one thing just in those uh in that list there chris you and the accolades you did miss i am the round the world champion as well uh which i picked up during a training session with tommy helder uh yes for those that aren't familiar with round the world it's where you lower the net to about knee high and uh, <laughs> with a group of between three and and 30 fistballers you play uh, fistball similar to the way you would do with um, round the world table tennis and you have to hit the ball and run and uh, after giving it a good go a number of times ended up coming first uh, so I've got that cap I can um, proudly <laughs> boast to the world now. Fist. All right let's move on to our drink section. I guess Mal would you like to start? Uh, yeah sure. Um, I've sort of been a little bit Politically inspired this week, I guess. Um, obviously, the big news been going on around the world is the uh, the US election that's been happening, and one of the things that's been helping me get get through that this time has has been uh, the Batuta Advocate, which for those who aren't uh, aware or or international listeners, uh, the Batuta Advocate say sort of a fake newspaper that that does a lot of um, satirical, funny articles that um, sort of poke fun at, cu- at current events and. Um, they've released their own beer, which is uh, Batuta Bitter. Mm, so nice. I thought I'll, I'll get on board that. And it's a can, so I couldn't uh, go past it. So I'll give it the obligatory. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Lee, what do you got? Well, I thought I'd go with something uh, I thought would be fitting uh, for tonight, which I can go into. I, I do need to explain. Uh, I was out in the sun today. And um, I wanted to find a beer that no one had heard of. Uh, I think it's fitting to drink a beer that no one has heard of when you're on a podcast talking about a, a sport that no one has heard of. <laughs> so I chose the Stomping Ground Watermelon Smash Sour Beer. I was out in the sun earlier today and it was, it was quite hot and, and warm. And 
this just seemed like the type of thing I needed. Uh, I've never had a watermelon beer and now I'm wondering whether that was the right decision because I, <laughs> I don't really feel like a watermelon beer right now. <laughs> to be honest, I've, I've come on to make amends and convince people that I'm not a gambling train nut and I've gone and ruined my credibility <laughs> straight away by drinking a watermelon beer. So here goes nothing. All right. I have got another f- fancy-ish beer, I guess, but it's a collaborative project between Garage Project and Other Side Brewing. It is, well, actually, it's just an IPA, but it's called Bubbles, and I'm assuming it's fancy because it's got a very fancy can, so I'm just going to open it on the mic as well. And people like it when I pour it into the into the glass as well because it makes them want to go to the toilet. So. That was a crisp can open, Chris. <laughs> very nice, yeah. All right. We should probably get on to the interview portion uh, because everyone wants to know all about you, Lee, and uh, whether some of the things people are saying are true. But before we get any further, I should I should probably put some introduction music so before we start the interview. So here we go. It goes for another thirty seconds or so, but uh, that, <laughs> that is uh, that is some music that is uh, what's the word? Um, sort of the soundtrack of the two thousand and nineteen World Championships, I think, for most of the Australian team. Yeah, yeah. For a, bit, for a bit of background, pretty much every day, sometimes multiple times a day, Lee would just upload these little thirty second videos of whatever random odds and sods he he was doing or had seen, mostly of just trains driving past or trams <laughs> and whatnot, and that was the backing music, and it just became. So funny. And then every time you'd see a train after that, everyone would be like, <laughs> and just start whistling. <laughs> I, I think, to be honest, I think that's what the people wanted. The videos uh, initially were just a bit of fun, but they're, they're good little, well, the videos go for about 30 seconds. They're about two seconds per clip. So it's 15 clips of two seconds. Mm. So these short little punchy videos with a catchy tune on top of it as well. There's two different types of tunes that are used for the videos. And they're a really good way of summing up the day. At the end of the day, you put them together and, and we'd send them out. We had a WhatsApp group for the whole team. Yep. And, you know, it would summarize the whole day and the, the fun and excitement from it. Uh, but just getting back to what the people wanted... I think the people wanted trains in the videos whenever <laughs> there was a train going past. People would, you know, do the whistle or yeah, yeah get get my attention. Uh, so I think that's the first myth debunked that I'm a train nut <laughs> by the fact that I think it was everyone else that wanted the trains in the videos as well. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But I have to admit that music, I mean, every time I hear it, it does bring a smile to my face. It is somehow the very perfect music for summing up a good day anyway. Yeah. Actually, you could probably film to horrible stuff and put the music over the top and I would still be bopping my head along. <laughs> but they're a, they're a good way of recording the day. And, and I was actually thinking about this after the conversation that you had with Corey a couple of weeks ago or a few episodes ago. And I, I thought it was amazing how he was saying that there's a lot of uh, information about fistball that they were unaware of. You know, the fact that they didn't know that there was a championship going on every four years in, in the United States. Yep. And um, there's so much of that fascinating stuff, the history of the fistball that is not recorded, it's not known about. And, you know, I think these podcasts are a good way of capturing some of that history to, to share it with the rest of the community. So I think, you know, good on you guys for, for doing this and then, you know, storing these archives of these stories because... 
a lot of this stuff you just can't find anywhere. So it's nice that it's now being able to be shared amongst amongst everyone. And, you know, these now become a way of archiving what's been happening in physical. Yeah. Should we should we move on anyway, Lee? Obviously, we know a lot about you, but, you know, the rest of the fistball world doesn't. Why don't you just give us a brief overview of how you got involved in, in fistball and how you got to where you are? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's, it's all happened. Um, you know, we say it's pity it all has happened when we're at the, the later side of our, you know, fitness life, I guess. Uh, but I, I think actually in a way that's been a bit of a blessing. Perhaps if fistball um, was brought to my attention earlier. I, I don't know whether, you know, it would have got my, my full attention straight away. I was, uh, I remember when I first heard about it, it was a conversation I was having with Rolf's cousin, Jimmy, which I think you've mentioned on the podcast. And he, he explained to me about fistball and it being good fun. And, and at the time I was like, oh, it's on a Saturday. I don't, I don't like my Saturday afternoons being being taken up, um, you know, with a, with a routine, not since playing footy and cricket. Had, oh, and, and basketball that I'd done a routine sport um, but I thought oh, I'll, I'll go out and, and give it a go and as soon as I started playing it I was hooked mm. it is such such a cool game and and we got a few people together and and the team that we we had and it's the team's changed a lot now but there was myself and, and Jason Build as you mentioned on the show Jason Denholm uh, the other big star attacker is still in the team uh, there was Dale, the the wizard, we called him. Wizard, yep. um, so he had a wizard on the team, uh, Alfredo <laughs> and Walter. So there was there was six of us and we, we got ourselves together. Going through a few photos earlier and looking at uh, just, you know, to sort of refresh my memory. And I found one photo of our team. It was on the first day that we played. Um, and it was just so fitting of, of fistball in its infancy. Uh, the photo is of is of Richard, who's been on the show, mm-hmm. serving underarm. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I think some things haven't changed, <laughs> but he's serving, serving underarm. We had a, a rope as a net. The, the rope couldn't have been more than 1.7 metres high. It's, <laughs> it's barely a <laughs> sort of... Richard's sort of crouched down, bouncing the ball. Um, it's barely above his, his head. There's a beer under the rope uh, on the pitch. We would have thought there's no way we're going to trip over that. That's, that's safe. Um, and Walter is standing behind me in such a position that he can't even see the ball. So he's got his head poked out to the side of me <laughs> to see what's going on. So our, our position formation was, we had clearly no idea, uh, but that just, you know, sums up the, the first day perfectly. We all just wore green. Um, we were we called ourselves the Fist and the Furious, which was just a play on names. Every every team had the, those play on names because it was just you know it started off as just being a bit of a uh, bit of entertainment. Rolf had this dream, but everyone was just doing it for for good fun. Yep. Um, but we started you know really enjoying the game, and while we we realised we had no idea, I just absolutely loved playing it. You know, whenever we had a tournament on and, and got more involved, and then we got our proper shirts made, and then I think Clemens that summer came over to Australia and that was really cool. Yep. You know, we were so welcoming to the community then when the IFA had sent over a coach from Austria to actually teach us how to play. And, and we could see that, you know, they had themselves a, a fairly audacious goal as well. And that was to, to broaden fistball. And we were a part of that. We were right in the centre of being a part of seeing this sport grow. Hmm. And we were welcomed into into the, the Fistball Federation. And from there... You know, it's just been been really lucky. It's been opportunity after opportunity. Pakistan, I was very lucky to to go in that. Um, initially, I wasn't going to go, and the team was was full and was set. 
And then a couple of weeks before leaving, I, I decided that, you know, that's a silly idea. I, I should at least try to try to go. And I, you know, asked the team. The team was, was pretty full. But then, like I said, a couple of weeks ago before the, the trip went ahead, there was a couple of people pulled out for a couple of reasons, injuries and things like that. And I had the chance to go, but I had to get my visa and, and stuff organized very, very quickly. And I, it just so happened, I, I've never been to Canberra before in my life, but I was doing a work trip to Canberra the next day. Uh, so I quickly got my paperwork together and, and within about half an hour after doing my work in Canberra, within about half an hour, I, I had to go to get to the Pakistan embassy <laughs> in, in Canberra. And I remember turning up and I had my passport and all the papers there and um, I, I gave them to the lady and, and she asked a bit about what I was doing. I explained and and then she goes, okay, no worries. She grabbed my papers and put it on one part of the desk, grabbed my passport, you know, put them on the other side of the desk. And I said, oh, do you need to keep these together? Another thing was stapled together. It was all just left on the desk. And I said, do you need to keep these together? She said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Just just go. So I didn't think I'd ever see that passport or papers ever again. And I, I think I ended up getting my visas before everybody else. So that worked out, worked out really well in my favor. And, you know, since then, we've, like you mentioned, um, I didn't realize that there's a, a played in, in so many places, but uh, I've just been really, really lucky that I have been able to do that and, you know, compete in so many different tournaments. And now I'm getting to the older part of my, my life where I see that that may end, <laughs> which is sad, but I still want to be involved in that and then go on to still watch games. I'd love to go to Yona as well. So there's there's still plenty more that I'd like to be involved in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you've kind of seen every kind of tournament really, haven't you? You've seen, together we've seen, you know, two world championships and, you know, that were both huge but very different plus you know we got to that pakistan experience which is just, which was just kind of mind-blowing uh for many reasons not mo- not many of them on the fistball field mostly around the fistball field uh and then we've got to obviously go to new zealand to play fistball and then uh which one i'm missing oh no I, did, I have not played in africa you've played in africa for the world cup against Funstad. yes pakistan's funny there's there's photos of us and and again talking about recording history that the effort that you put into writing that book chris oh, that tour diary yeah you know i still for uh, a bit of a plug chris has a book on the story of the pakistan trip which is a, a very <laughs> good reminder and there's photos of us in that you know we're wearing we're wearing sneakers and hiking shoes i think for <laughs> our footwear that we're playing in there's no you know, there's no sprigs this is our you know we're playing internationally and we, we're all just wearing these these worn out runners and, and, yes. and boots that you just use to walk around the city <laughs> you know we it didn't even occur to us that we weren't, <laughs> we weren't prepared you know you'd slip over the moment that there was a leaf or a, or a little puddle on the field well in fairness when i'm thinking back to that tournament i don't remember a single one of us ever diving did any of us dive for a ball i don't think we did i don't think we needed appropriate footwear there was a, a photo of jimmy he was the other attacker uh, with with blood in his knee so i assume either that or he walked into something probably just walked into <laughs> the, the grandstand um, yes. where he was sitting down it, it was um even our positioning clements had still trained us but i remember us being very flat yeah, our position was our position mm. it was like old yep. uh, old football where that's where you stood and unless the ball was within a certain range of you uh, you didn't leave that position um, so <laughs> we've, we've we've learned a lot um since then yeah still waiting for our uh, our revenge game against nepal yeah, that's the yes. that's that one burning burning yeah. thing it's like at some point we've got to go and back and beat nepal because we can't have can't have them with that with that over us forever there's there's a number of things in fistball that you know you look back on and you want to make amends and you mm. you sort of you churn it over and over over and over in your head there's a number of games i can think of 
not beating Pakistan is one that just, it kills me. Yeah. We had the chance again at the 2015 World Championships yeah. and we lost to them again on, we were playing on pretty much dirt. I don't think there was any grass on that, <laughs> that pitch. We were all cut up from diving. We were diving at that <laughs> point done, now. Yeah. But they did beat us in Pakistan. They beat us in, in Argentina in, in 2015. Uh, we lost to India as well um, in that tournament in Pakistan with a flat ball. I, and I, it still kills me that we didn't just say to the ref, you know, we didn't even know you can't change the ball. Yeah. Um, Deflate yeah. gate. Yeah, yeah you, all you need to do is just pick up another ball and, and you're fine that the ref doesn't even need to. We, we didn't even think of that. We, we didn't know the rules. Losing to Nepal, it just, I think I nearly cried at the end of that. We've gone all the way to Pakistan <laughs> and it was, you know, so surreal. But to leave there with no wins at all. And, you know, we should have had more games. Um, you know, the bus was always late to the tournament. There were supposed to be more games, um, but it had to be shortened because of that. But, yeah, it, we, we walked into Argentina still not having won a game. And and then we were we were a better outfit in Argentina, but still very immature, you can see, um, from the way that we, you know, we, we sort of prepared ourselves. And, and we had Laurie, who did actually a really good job with, with coaching us, but we were still very in our infancy, we'd only been playing for two years. And, and so we left Argentina, I think, just having beaten South Africa um, and coming close again a number of times. And, yeah. and South Africa wasn't, it wasn't satisfying, not to say that South Africa, not a good team, they were, they were a good outfit, but they were newer than us. And so you'd expect that we need to beat a team that's newer than us. Mm-hmm. And, and so again, we've left there um, without any wins. So by the time it came to 2019 in the World Championships and winning some good games, we were absolutely elated. And um, I remember the reaction when we when we got our first win and we just really celebrated that so it was finally finally we got one we got a good one yeah that's it you were on the field for that serbia win yeah you, you hit you hit the winning shot i remember that like i was i was on the on the sidelines but you hit that winner and you've just fallen to the ground like you've just won a, a tennis open and everyone's run out on the ground screaming and dived on you because we just won a group stage game against serbia <laughs> yeah but it, but it was the first, you're right, it was the first international win we've had that was genuinely an upset against a team that was better than us that we weren't expected to beat. Mm. And for it to all come together and we just, we played really well and yeah, to have a big upset win, that was, that's still probably, yeah, that, that one real standout win we've had in our international journey. Yeah. And, and I really think we came to Switzerland, uh, a much better unit. We had been training really hard under, under Tommy's you know, coaching guidance and we were we looked a lot better we were a much a much closer and tighter unit and then and this is another one that kills me you know we were turning up to Denmark and we didn't know whether we could beat Denmark they looked pretty good in training and one thing that just kills me and it's still to this day is you know the first two points I, I thought we need to play attacking in this game yeah and I served the first two balls. I tried to play a droppy and a drop shot. I thought, you know, there's no point going with a soft first serve. Let's do a drop shot and yeah. get them off guard. And it went into the net and then the next <laughs> serve went out. So we were two points down and we came so close to beating Denmark. You know, yeah. you know, you just wonder whether you could have done it if, you know, you hadn't made those early mistakes. But, you know, that's the beautiful thing about sport, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, you can go for years without getting to make amends or you may never get to make amends. You, you sometimes just get the one chance to do it and, and yeah. you've got to be be prepared and ready for it. And you play it over and over again, but it's, it's like, you know, everyone does it. It's the same thing in a grand final. You, you'd have those same haunting memories forever, but it's still great to, to be a part of them. I guess the, the romance of sport. Yeah, for sure. You're right. I mean, I have all those moments, and I obviously the the 2018 
Asia Pacific, the final. I've watched that for whatever reason. I've watched that like 12 times or something. And every time analyzing every stuffed up set I've done and every, you know, poor decision I've made. And, you know, you can't help but kind of like overanalyze your errors rather than kind of, I suppose, like basking in the good stuff that you do. But Oh, it's, um, it's but... not your fault, Melanie. I mean, it's the defender's role to get the ball perfectly <laughs> to you as a setter. It's, well, absolutely. It's got to be placed right in front of you. If, if your set's no good, it's the defender's fault for not getting, getting it in front of you. Absolutely. And if it doesn't end up being a winner, that's the attacker's fault. I mean, yeah. That was a perfect set. <laughs> they should have put it away. Ideally, if the defender does their job really well, you don't need the setter at all. If they can just defend the ball to the three-metre line, it just bounces up nicely. And That's true. We've always been pretty good at... Um, I remember there was a, a sort of fairly decent stint of time where if the, if the defensive shot landed sort of anywhere within probably five metres of the net, that was the set. Because it was like, <laughs> if we try and do a set from here, it'll be worse than what it is. You know, like, yeah. we'll stuff it up. So just yeah. just hit it from... Take the second hit. And... But, yeah, I think that's sort of the, the way that we... It's the safe way that we play, isn't it? And we're moving away from that, but just the attitude of just get the ball over the net and and hope that the other team makes a mistake, Um, which you you can't do when you're playing against good teams. You can always think that we haven't haven't gotten very far, but all you have to do is watch video from past past games yes. <laughs> and just go oh okay yes we have improved like i've sh- i've sent you videos randomly of us that i've got a couple of camera videos of us playing in pakistan and you just write back saying delete that please <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so hard to watch <laughs> um so what, what have your highlights been so far then what would you say i mean you listed off quite a few things there but yeah and, and i probably did it a bit out of order but um highlights i, I think the the first thing for me, uh, the biggest highlight is, I think, the fear and the, the, the tremble that I saw in Nick Trenemeyer's face and, and his whole body <laughs> when he realized I was I was going to take the next serve. Yeah. And I, I made eye contact Just with him. Shaking. Again, this was, uh, <laughs> this was in South Africa, the Club World Championships. And, you know, again, you talk about being lucky. You're at the Club World Championships. There's four teams in the club world championships and we're one of them because we were the best club in uh, i think it was oceana at the time yep. there wasn't new zealand was very the very early stages and there's only you know about four clubs or five clubs that we have here in, in australia so you know it's a one in five chance as opposed to um, clubs in europe that have about a one in ten thousand chance of making it to the club world championships uh so we got and we just won the competition in order to qualify to go to the club world championships the, the the fist and the furious and we were still called fist and the furious at the time and I, I thought there's no way that we can go to this this is a serious competition going on you've got these clubs that train and they take they put so much effort into it and you know we're rocking up as fist and the furious to to a, a, a fistball a club fistball championship flying over the other, other side of the world so we decided to change that and that's where we changed our names to the South Melbourne Green Demons. The Green Demon was was named after we like Victoria Bitter. It's a it's an old classic beer. It's in a little nugget stubby, um, and it's often called a Green Demon because it's it's got a green label and just looks. I don't know where the Green Demon comes from, but it, it's green anyway. Um, so we decided to and and, mo- and most of us lived in South Melbourne, so we called ourselves the South Melbourne Green Demons. But uh, 
everyone would call us the dimmies then um, because in, in South Melbourne they sell really good dim sings. I had no idea. <laughs> everyone just was trying to call us the dimmies. <laughs> um, so we turned up to South Africa, relabeled as the South Melbourne Green Demons and, and with a, a really nice outfit as well and we, we looked a lot more serious mm. um, with our team. And so to get the opportunity to play, it was at Funkstadt, which was the, the club from um, from Europe that had made it over, and and Funkstadt is pretty much Germany. Um, so we we got to play Germany in a in a game, and to, so to serve to to Nick Trenemeyer and to scare Patrick Thomas off as well, so that he didn't even want to play in the game was a, was a real honour. And yeah, you know, one of those things that you just savour because you you know that you're not going to get this chance ever again. Yeah. And they control the tempo when you play them as well. They'll decide how hard they hit the ball, mm. and they'll just they'll keep you engaged so that you can get a few points here and there. Yeah. But you know that they've just got they're sitting in first gear and that they could just wipe you out within eleven nil. <laughs> um, win if they wanted to yeah but you'd flown all that way so you know yeah so they're just being nice <laughs> so um nick chenemeyer and, and and nick nick's um i mean yeah he's a hilarious one of the things that the south melbourne green demons uh cold attacker jason denham looks for after every tournament uh, because you know nick and the whole german team they take it very seriously as, as they as they should and and so there's no drinking or partying during a tournament, but after a tournament, they're very excited and, and will celebrate very heavily straight away. And one of the things that's hilarious with Nick and that Jason looks out for is Nick just seems to be within about three and a half seconds of winning that final point where they've won the championship. He's drunk and he's got the slits out and he's got his arm around everyone. And Jason just sits there, he's looking out for it. He's like, he's got the slits out. <laughs> Um, one of the other things that comes to mind in the was going to, I think this was actually before the Pakistan trip, and this wasn't a fistful story, but Eric Maddox, one of the players on the uh, for Australia, who also went over to Pakistan, I think he'd organised for our article to be in the MX magazine. Oh, yeah. And MX is, was, it used to be a newspaper that they'd just give out at the train station um, on the Melbourne uh, Metro network. And, you know, people could just grab the newspaper and before our phones were getting too big and popular and, and people could just read the paper on the way home. And he'd organised for this article of us to, to be in the MX and it got published and our, our photos were there. And I, I can't remember specifically what the article was about, but we went to the train station, we realised that this article had been printed and we grabbed like a hundred copies of the MX so we could <laughs> we could take them home because once you missed it, yeah. it, you know, the next day there's a new one out and you, you can't get it again. We grabbed about a hundred copies of them <laughs> and we were walking down. This is still early evening. It's pretty busy uh, at Flinders Street Station, which is where we were. And we were going down the escalators onto the platform to go home. And um, we had all these newspapers and this guy came up to us and he's like, what do you got all those newspapers for? And, and he goes, are you in there? <laughs> and and we said, yeah. And he grabs one of the papers and he's flicking through it. He's flicking, he's flicking through it. He, he goes, this issue, no, it's this issue. And our train arrives and we're boarding onto the train. And he's like, I'm going to find you. And eventually the doors, the doors of the train close and we're in this pretty packed train. And he finds our photo and he like looks at it and then looks at us through the glass because he didn't jump on the train he was still on the platform and he sees the photo and he goes 
that's you. And he runs and jumps up against the train and he pushes the newspaper up against it. And he's like, this is you, this is you. And this train starts moving off and he's running along with the train. That's you. And we're on this packed train and just standing there going, oh, God, this is, this is not good. Get us out of here. No wonder you love trains so much. Yeah. <laughs> that train whisked you away from that guy. Um, but, yeah, other, other memories... One of the things I, I loved was was Argentina. The first time that we actually got to see fistball played at, at its elite level, to, to watch other countries from overseas play it, really just gives you a sense of how good and how much these some of these players work for it and how much they you know have just grown up the sport. And they're, mm. if, if fistball was big enough, these would be Olympians that you're watching. So it's that's really cool to just watch the, the quality um, of play. And then I remember Clemens um, describing to us, you know, what the big tournaments are like and all the dancing and the music and the, you know, it, it all being under lights and everyone getting dressed up. And, and so to be in Switzerland where we got to see the, the semi-final between uh, Austria and Brazil from memory um mm-hmm. and it was just it was loud and it was so exciting it was a ripper game and you're watching these players just just give it their all and that was really cool just to be amongst that because it was what we had heard fistball is like when it's yeah. when you're playing it in a place where people follow it and they're, they're passionate about it like soccer fans so yeah. i really loved that just standing in the crowd i can you know can still just just remember it. And the songs, you know, the Johnny Depp song, um, the, the Nicky Lauder one and um, the, the helicopter Einstein Steve. And I, you know, like the, the road movie songs, I get a big smile on my face when I hear those those songs play still and I, I still listen to them. Um, and I, I have here with me tonight, if I get cold, my uh, jersey that I swapped with Carl Molina, oh, yes. uh, the Austrian attacker. Yeah. And that was, that was really cool. You know, I, He's such an exciting player, really good to watch. His serves and his attacks just they float and just find the last three centimeters there is of the mm. of the end line. Yeah, he's an, he's an absolute star. So to swap um, a jersey with him uh, was was really cool. And I, I still wear it. I've, I, I wear it all the time, and uh, it's it's starting to to fall away. So um, yeah. Austrians just take note of your clothing quality for long term, long term use. Not designed to be slept in and worn every day to work. <laughs> yeah, but but you know. So I was going to say one of the joys for you, Lee, being tall, is that uh, you actually have quite a few options of of quality opposition players to swap jerseys with. The um the plight of being a, a five foot seven sort of slightly overweight guy means that there's not a lot of elite <laughs> fistballers that are able to swap shirts with you at the end of a tournament. So <laughs> yeah, if I remember correctly, Carl. Carl Mullen actually sought you out, Lee. Is that right? I think he came up to you and said, would you like to change shirts with me? I think he was pretty excited. I remember Bianca telling me that he, he was wearing the Aussie top very proudly. So I think he was just as excited as I was. And I, I assume he's, he's probably still wearing that shirt and wearing it out as well. I, I assume he wears it. <laughs> I assume he got it so that next time he plays against Patrick Thomas, he can wear it and yes. just turn around and yeah. it'll just say Maroney <laughs> on the back and it'll be a total psych out <laughs> for Patrick Thomas. <laughs> what Patrick Thomas's knees just get all weak and wobbly. You know? <laughs> His giant knees. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, do you, if you don't have any other highlights, Lee, we could move on to a few listener questions if you if you can. Uh, yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. All right. This one is from uh, J Lion. 
I don't know. I feel like this person may have sent in questions in the past, but she asked a lot of questions, doesn't she? <laughs> a lot of inside information as well, which is very unusual. But anyway, she does say, um, "Is there any truth to the rumors that you subscribe to the multiple parallel universe theory? And if so, what is a Slayer Angel?" <laughs> uh, I'll answer some of that. Um, so, <laughs> the multiple universe theory. This kept us very entertained over the World Championships in 2019 and in Switzerland. And it was, I mean, it was so much fun. We were traveling around, but initially we were in, in Unterhauptstädten and playing there and in Wilderstadt. And, uh, and, and it was always together as a big group of the whole team. And I thought we were very close on that trip. And um, the multiple universe theory, it's a theory and a, a very plausible one, that there's actually an infinite number of parallel universes out there. And with an infinite number of universes, that means that there's an infinite number of outcomes that are all being played out in all of these universes. Mm-hmm. And and so there's whatever you can think of would actually be happening. And even this lifetime here that we're living mm-hmm. and this whole, you know, play out of the universe, this is actually happening a million times. So, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, an infinite number of times yeah. rather. And so there's, there is a an alternate universe out there where Australia actually wins the final. Yes. <laughs> and, and we do it not by, by being a good team. You know, we, there is a, there would also be a universe out there where we're all, you know, where we found out about Fistball 50 years ago and we've got, you know, good young players going through the ranks. But there's also a universe out there where, you know, we actually, us playing the way that we do, win the final. And it's just through, <laughs> you know, it, you can imagine in the final Patrick Thomas serving and he just serves 11 <laughs> serves in a row into the net. <laughs> you know? and, and it's it, it's possible that, you know, the first serve he serves into the net and he's like, oh, damn it. And then the next serve he serves into the next. And then, yeah, and all these times there's just a, you know, a gust of wind that picks up or something. Um, and, and or you know, a bird flies along. Or, you know, I worked it out that there's about a one in that there's a one in 10,000 chance that he would just miss the ball altogether when he serves. So probably if one in 10,000 serves, you would just miss it completely and it would just be an air shot. Now, if you look at him doing that 11 times in a row, which is 10,000 to the power of 11, I think it ends up being a number that's 10 to the 42. So there's a chance, right? So there's, there's a chance, but there's a universe out there where that happens and we win. We win, we win the final. <laughs> it's like, you know, Stephen Bradbury on, on steroids, basically, isn't it? So are you telling me there's a chance? <laughs> there's, so, and, and there's not just a chance, there is a universe out there where... Where it's happening. Where, where it's happening and, and Trump also wins the, the, the election legitimately. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I'd like to, like to think that there's, a, you know, one of those that there's a chance that we could be in that universe anyway, that next that the next World Championships, Australia wins it because we just happen to be in the one that we just described. Yeah. <laughs> what a visual. <laughs> Every single serve. Oh, there's a bird just swoops you right at that very moment. <laughs> Inside a closed roof stadium in front of 13,000 German fans. What are the chances? <laughs> Patrick Thomas misses the ball 11 times in a row. <laughs> Like, you'd feel like an idiot. <laughs> just, there's nothing you can do to stop it. And then if he did try to overcrack, he's like, no, nah, this shot, I'm getting over the net. It would just it would just go out. He did it too hard. <laughs> but then, there, you know, you know, in gambling, there's also a version of me out there who every horse I bet on 
it wins. No matter what effort I place, or even if I just go on every horse being 201, there's a version of me out there where it wins and I'm even cocky about it and can just say, you know, watch this. I'm going to bet on this 501 shot and it will get up and it just... It just does. So there's most universes out there would be pretty dull and boring, but there's a, a few good ones out there. That's uh, that's good. I'm pretty sure that answers uh, Jay Lyon's question. Uh, yeah, that was a good one. Thanks, thanks to Jay Lyon. Uh, I've got another one here from uh, from a, a Jesse L. Okay. Uh, it says Lee, you've been lucky enough to travel the world playing fistball. You've played in Oceania, Asia, South America, Africa, and Europe. In all of your time traveling the world playing fistball. What is your favourite train journey? Uh, these are a fistball related trains, are they? I don't think they have to be. She didn't specify. It's it's funny because there, there are some, um, but most of the the joy has been seeing those those one off trains. You know that come past when you're in a, a country where you've never seen that a, a particular type of train like that before, and it, and it just comes past, and it's got every boy's dream. It's got like fifty carriages on it or something, which is unheard of in Australia. We've taken a couple of uh, of trains and we took I remember taking one when we were in, in Zurich that was that was really good fun I think there's a road movie around that entire journey that got put together and uh, there was also a a train journey that we we took as a team in Bangkok as well uh, before going to Pakistan where we went to see uh, this like really underground um, uh, Thai fighting Thai Thai kickboxing I oh, think it was yeah. yeah we that was in Bangkok in Bangkok yeah that was actually a really good, really good day out that one. This is just before going over to Pakistan and we had heard that there was this, you know, there's these sort of big tyre fights that are set up for the tourists, but this one was a really sort of underground one um, that we, yeah. we'd been given this message in Thai about how to get there. It didn't mean anything to us. It seemed from every type speaking person that we spoke to that they didn't even understand what it said either. So we were having trouble finding this place, but we knew that we had to get a train out to the end of the line in, in Bangkok. And then jump on these motorbikes, oh, yeah. who, and these people would drive us to this tie fight, and it was in a school. Yeah, um, I remember being in a primary school. <laughs> this, and we're there watching this fight, drinking beer in a primary school. Very odd, but that was that was actually probably my favourite train journey. So, hmm. um, thanks to was it Janet L? Um, was it? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Thanks for the, that question because it <laughs> dug up a lot of memories. It's actually uh, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it until now. A journey that that you missed out on, Lee. That from last year was because I went over a little bit early before the world champs and I went to the, the Yona tournament first and the Kiwi team went over as well. Mm. Cause we were all going to uh, Unterhauchstedt after the tournament. They were like, Oh, do you want to travel with us? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. You just buy my ticket, whatever. And I'll just give you the money. So I caught up with blaze and he's like, yeah, we've got your ticket. We've just got to catch the train from the station in Yona at nine o'clock in the morning. It's like, sweet. Anyway, so we went out to the, the final night of the tournament in uh, in Yona and, you know, partying, whatever. So I've got up on the, the following morning, like, fairly hungover, thinking like, oh, at least I've just got a fairly relaxing day of sitting on the train for, you know, five or six hours, whatever it takes to get to Unterhauchstedt. Not realising too, that because of various track works and whatever else, it was actually four trains and two buses. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, and, the, and and these trains just got. Can you actually edit out that? It would it would almost got a bit groany that that reaction. Yes. <laughs> that's definitely staying in. I'm afraid. The trains just got progressively smaller and shitter as we went on. So, like the first train we got in Yona was this nice little sort of train from you know inner city Switzerland, and then as we started heading out into sort of more rural Germany, and a couple of times like where the train had just stopped. 
and we'd get off at, at this sort of weird depot and then we'd be waiting for a bus and we were like, I don't even know if we're in Germany now or if we're in Switzerland now, where, where exactly we are. And then, yeah, and by the end it was this just this weird little kind of... It was more than more like a tram than a train that we're, that we're on. And yeah, it was, it would have been quite interesting and entertaining if I hadn't been so hungover and just sort of wanted to die at the time <laughs> and having to keep lugging my bags on and off trains and, and buses for a, a whole day was, was quite brutal, but you would have been in your element on those uh, four trains and two buses that we took. That sounds like a lot of fun, but it, there's nothing worse than being hungover on those trips. Is there people just say, Oh, you'll be fine. Just sleep on the bus or the train or the, or the plane, but you can't, you just feel so bad at the end of it. So I, I feel for you. And um, if you had made a road movie, you'd be able to, you know, remember the, the journey a lot better. The music wouldn't have been as upbeat as the stuff you used. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. We have um, a couple more questions here. This one is probably a bit of a two-parter, I guess. This one's from a, a Nick T from M. He says, I would like to know when Lee's podcast about trains will be released. And do you share training tips with Patrick Thomas? Um, is training related to trains in that question or are they two separate <laughs> questions? No, that's, sorry, that's, that's very confusing. Two very separate questions. When is your podcast about trains going to be dropping? I, I came on here to try to explain to the, you know, to the fistful world that there's there's more to me than just this train <laughs> madman by the, by the sounds of it. But it seems like there's no... <laughs> I can pretty safely say you've not succeeded so far. It seems like that is now I've got to take a step up. I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts out there about trains i haven't listened to any of them uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there'd be good competition for training it's actually funny that reminds me in south africa this is the club championships and and again we were obviously way lower than the german and the brazilian team there and you know for us we were just just glad to be able to be competing and i remember we were having having a barbecue a braai i think it was in and we're all staying in the same place and the same accommodation. Mm-hmm. But the accommodation was sort of nice, out of these different rooms, and then almost like a sort of a, a communal area as well. But then there was also an area where there was a pool and barbecue area and stuff. And we were, as we'd do most nights, just have a barbecue and, and just drink beers. The German team were having a, as they would do every night after dinner, having their sort of team meeting about the next day. And we knew that they were in the, this room having this meeting. And we, you know, we were just sitting around having having a good drink and Alfredo decided Alfredo was had come over with the actually he was part of the team um he came over with us and he decided that the Germans would like to have a drink with us <laughs> on this particular night and that all we would have to do is just go into the where they were having the meeting just ask them to have a drink and there's you know of course they'd want to they're Germans so <laughs> he quite bravely went in there into this room where they're having the team meeting and he came back with his his tail between his legs and he goes the German team think a lot differently than us. <laughs> they, they must have just told him to get out. <laughs> so in terms of what I, information I can share with Patrick Thomas, in terms of training, I think there's there's probably not much I can really give him that he doesn't already know or, or try, but mm. I think he needs to do more of the hammer shot. Okay. You know, the hammer is, it's my favourite shot and mm. it's just so powerful. And, you know, I love it when he does it and he just blasts it into the ground and yeah, it goes, yeah. you know, 15 metres up in the air. But, you know, just, just do more of that. The fans yeah. like it. I also like the hammer shot because it's it's a really easy one to miss hit 
and a lot of the time when you miss hit a hammer shot, it actually comes off looking really good, oh, and okay. you can just kind of claim it. You can claim it, you know. Skews off the side, and it kind of curves out, and you just kind of you get to own it, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> when I do that, and they look sick, don't they? Because the ball just curves off and it, it spins off. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Do that, do that little curve thing you do again." <laughs> do that again. I have no idea how I do that. It's just when it's actually a. It's an awful shot when I play that one. It's not gone in the way that I wanted it to, and it just happened to just do this full curve. Yeah, and I guess not only that, given that it is a bit more of a difficult shot to master, if Patrick does really take that on, the chances of him totally missing the ball increase a little bit, which all comes back to the uh, yeah to to the multiverse theory and uh, of him just missing the ball eleven times altogether. Planting the seed, Lee. Very smart. Very smart. Yeah. So um, yeah, thank you uh, to Nick T for that one. Yeah, Nick T. We have one more question, so I've just got to find it here. Yeah, I think I've got one from a, a B. Lehman. Oh, yeah, that's the one I was looking for. Go for it. Yeah, so it's, it's from a B. Lehman, who I think uh, might be a cousin of uh, former German goalkeeper Jens Lehman. Oh, no relation to... Peter Lehman? Uh, possibly. Tom, Tom Lehman? The, the, or the, Darren the, Lehman? Darren Lehman? Yeah. Possibly. Lee, I have a three-part question for you. They keep getting longer. <laughs> it was observed at a Fistivus last year that you were suspiciously attending to three different phones. Can you please explain why a fine gentleman like yourself has the need for three phones? Is your girlfriend aware of this, and should she be concerned? What's part two and three of the question? Yeah, I think that, that was all of it. <laughs> well, I think it's all tied in there somewhere. They'll flow on. Yeah, we'll, we'll go on to question two and three, I think. And we'll just need to add, edit out those questions. Uh, but no, it's all, it's all above board. Um, yeah, no, my girlfriend, she knows about uh, the phones um, and, and encourages them. So, yeah, it's just, you know, you're afraid that one can run out of battery. So you need, you need more than one. <laughs> That's sensible. I have on, a, on sort of good authority that there might be more than three phones. <laughs> it might have been sort of five or upwards at one point. Yeah, I'm a budding app developer, and um, you need to trial trial these different <laughs> different um, different programs on different OSs. So it's a, so so it definitely has nothing to do with uh, with horse racing. Then oh, I can't imagine how it would. No, that wouldn't make any sense to me. No, I mean I, I don't I don't know much about the sport to be honest. It's a pastime, really. Well, it's interesting that um, that horse racing has sort of popped up in the in the conversation even if it uh, we had to kind of prod it there a little more than i thought it naturally might get there but i happen to have uh, just received a message from a friend of mine simon who happens to work for sky racing um uh, and he was uh, he's interested in just thought he might pop in for a chat would you should we get him on and see what he's got to say oh that would be wonderful yes this this would be a real a real honor our first ever live um special guest first so I'll do a bit of an introduction. So uh, welcome to the podcast to uh, my, my good friend, uh, Simon Harrison, who's, he works for, uh, for Sky Racing. And so he's obviously a bit of a, a bit of a racing man, as you are, Lee. So we thought this might be a bit of a, a match made in heaven to, to get the two of you together. So uh, welcome, welcome on board, Simon. Thanks very much, Critty. And I tell you what, out of the matches I've been trying to find lately, a match made in heaven with Lee might just be my best alternative. Ah, <laughs> uh, very good. So I'll give a I'll give a little a quick background story into um how I got to know Simon and how I've sort of wrangled him in for this podcast. Um, so as I said, Simon works for um for Sky Racing, and believe it or not, uh, this little podcast isn't actually my first uh, ever foray into the uh, the broadcasting 
side of things. Um, about oh, it's probably ten years ago, I guess now. Uh, I'd just been got home from travelling overseas, and I was sort of between jobs and looking for a, for a bit of a career change. And out of the blue, on uh, I think it was a Friday night, I got a phone call from my brother at about ten o'clock at night, and he was down at the local pub uh, in Flemington called the Laurel Hotel, and he said that I, he might have a job for me. And I sort of was a bit confused. that oh, what kind of job will he have me for me at 10 o'clock on a Friday night? But anyway, and he, he said, he goes, oh, I'm here with a couple of blokes that work uh, work on the radio for racing and looking for someone who's uh, sort of got a bit of the gift of the gab, and um, I'll put you on with this guy, Russell, and um, he wants to do a bit of a phone interview with you. So I was like, oh, okay, sounds good. So I had a probably a half an hour phone interview with this uh, fellow, Russell, Russell Vetch, who I think... I'll get you to fill in the, the blanks later, uh, Simon, but I think he was either your, your colleague or your, your boss or, or something. But anyway, so I had a phone interview with him for about 30 or 40 minutes. That all seemed to go pretty well. And uh, he said, oh, you know, why don't you come down uh, to the station tomorrow and we'll, you know, take you through, give you a bit of a sort of uh, rough take through how it all works. So I thought, oh, yeah, sounds pretty good. You know, any job job offer I'll, I'll take at this point. So, of course, I was up at my mum's place in Birchett, which is about three and a half hours from Melbourne. So I packed a bag of stuff, jumped in the car, Headed down to Melbourne, got there about two o'clock in the morning or something. Slept on the couch at my brother's place, and then and then I got up the next morning and I sent this uh, Russell a message. Uh, you know, where where do you want me to meet you? And he sort of rang me back a bit sheepishly, uh, sort of saying, "Oh, look, um, yeah, see about the job. Uh, you know, I, I might have." sort of said a few things last night that perhaps I wasn't quite at liberty to say. Like, I'm not actually sure that I can actually offer you a job after all. Um, yeah, so I've spoken to the manager and, yeah, I, there isn't actually a position there, as it turns out. So, yeah, I, I didn't get the job in the in the radio, but I did end up... I was already in Melbourne for the weekend, so... So, anyway, I, had, I happened to end up at the pub with my brother that afternoon and Simon was there. Russell uh, didn't make an appearance that night. I think he was uh, a bit embarrassed about the whole thing, but... But I happened to meet Simon, and yeah, we've been sort of been friends ever since. I can uh, I can tell you, Critty, that uh, I've got faith that somewhere in this world there is an expert or a doctor that can tell us all exactly what's wrong with Russell Beach, but I haven't met them yet. <laughs> so don't feel too bad. He, uh, you wouldn't be the first person that he's let up the garden path, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel too bad at all. No, that's all good. But the main thing is that we've we've held a long friendship uh, over the years, though. I mean, that was that, that was fifteen years ago now, fourteen years ago now. So we're still uh, we're still mates, and I still come down to Melbourne and catch up with older brother and uh, and all the guys. So it's now it's been a good association. Yeah, no, it's it's been good. And how you've got to fit into this whole fistball story is it's a fairly kind of. Um, Loose affiliation, I guess. Mostly, um, we just wanted to get someone on who's got a good voice for for a radio on our podcast, because me and Milne have both sound pretty awful. But but also, I um I did sort of briefly introduce you to, to Fistball not so long ago. Um, for a bit of background for people, uh, so Simon uh, was in a an accident when he was younger and with a, a train accident and, and lost an arm. And Simon has been doing some work recently about about working with disability and and the fact that, that you've managed to um to, you know get to a, a career in radio despite living with with disabilities is very impressive and and I was just introduced uh, I sort of showed you some videos of Matthias Kunzler from Brazil who plays fistball at the absolute highest level but and was born with with only one hand and I was like oh there's a guy that sort of might be interested in as living with disability and um and that was kind of my flimsy excuse to uh strike up a conversation about fistball to then try and wrangle you onto a podcast so it worked well 
have you managed to get uh, Kunzler on one of your podcasts yet? I mean, surely that's got to be your holy grail to get this man involved on your podcast. <laughs> I want to hear from him. I want to see him. Uh, we haven't yet. I'll, maybe I'll cast a line. I'm not. I don't know how great his English is. I think he speaks okay, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'll sound him out. Maybe we can get him in one day. I'll get you back for a second special appearance, Simon. No, I'm sure you will. I mean, I wouldn't be wouldn't be more relieved than the uh, the first Brazilian uh, the first Brazilian girl he went to and said, "I'm a fistballing champion," and she said, "Thank God you haven't got a fist." <laughs> but anyway, I look, look forward to watching it. I will say, um, just just quickly, one last one last thing about that uh, our, our origin story, Simon, of of the night that we met and the the job interview that didn't quite turn out to be. You'd think that that driving three and a half hours to Melbourne for a job interview for a job that didn't actually exist would have been the most um, sort of soul destroying thing from a from a self confidence perspective that would have happened to me that day, but it actually wasn't. Uh, it was that that was later that night when I got beaten at pool by a bloke with one arm. <laughs> <laughs> if things weren't going bad enough, <laughs> that just really rubbed the salt into the wounds, didn't it? I maintain <laughs> I got hustled. <laughs> Big time. I think from there you were looking at doing air traffic control at one point and you were doing teaching and you, you really have gone down quite a few different sort of career paths, haven't you? But I, I think a fistballing podcast, you found where you're always supposed to be, you know. You've, you've finally found your point of rest. This is, this is where it was supposed to end up. Yeah, that's right. And I think when you look at our, our you know, listenership of, say, of 100 people per podcast, if we can just get those 100 people to pay several thousand dollars for each podcast, I'll have really made it in life. <laughs> hey, don't do bad, Critty. I always, I always wanted to be a singer. I went and asked my year seven music teacher if there were any opportunities. He said, sure, I'd like you to sing tenor for the school choir. He said, great, when do I start? He said, no, nah, tenor 15 bloody miles away. <laughs> Well, I vaguely remember a, a fairly drunken taxi ride of you singing uh, a bit of Andrea Bocelli Conte Partero in, in a taxi one night to a very confused uh, taxi driver that couldn't get rid of us quick enough. No, no, no. And that was the uh, that was the funny part that I'll, Conte Partero sort of loosely translates to I'll go with you and that the taxi driver couldn't get rid of us quick enough, could he? <laughs> but... Uh, Anyway, tell me about more about the fistball. What's what's going on? Have we got a championship coming up, or are there are there are you in, is your team playing, or what's what's happening? Well, there's actually not much happening at the moment because of COVID. We're all sort of uh, locked down, which is what part of why we've resorted to uh, a fairly in-depth tangent of horse racing on our fistball podcast because we don't have a huge amount of fistball content so <laughs> at least that's still going on <laughs> yeah yeah that's right horse racing is still happening and the melbourne cup was on this week just passed so we thought oh well you know let's do what we can make it work well i tell you what i was working yesterday and it was a horrible day to work the tab system went down they had a system malfunction and no one could place a bet the uh, they lost about 100 million dollars in turnover and revenue for the whole day it was absolutely dreadful uh, tabs are slow Goodness, you know, long may we play. It became long may we wait. But of course, absolute chaos. It's just terrible. So hopefully they get that fixed. Now I must tell you, boys, I must tell you. I love I love going down to the TAB because you're all part of one big family. You know, everyone cheering at that one big TV screen, hoping their nag will be the first one to cross the line. You feel like you belong, no matter what background in life you come through, uh, or no matter what sort of, you know, beaten down back blocks or broken family that you may have been raised from. Everyone belongs down at the TAB. Well, let me tell you, one day a young bloke wandered through the doors of the Brunswick Street TAB and happened to stumble upon an armed robbery that was in progress. <laughs> Swiftly assessing the unfolding situation, he grabbed his chance and asked if he could lay on the floor with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> 
An oldie but a goodie. An oldie but a goodie. But, uh, but anyway, my, Lee, my spies tell me that you're a big racing man. I, I do I do enjoy it. And um, what you mentioned yesterday was, you know, just the worst timing. You've gone through the last six to nine months of, of no crowds being allowed on course. You know, it's it's obviously putting a lot of pressure on, on prize money because there's less money actually going into the, the racing industry now. And then to have then the TAB go down as well. And I think Morfittville, they, they pulled the pin on races there. They had to put other races back. Um, it's just the last thing that they need. It, everything's just gone wrong. And now you got to the very last day of the spring racing carnival and it just went to hell. And I think even today it's still been a problem as well. So you, you wonder where the, the bad luck's going to end. Um, but yeah, surely there's brighter days ahead. Well, you look at 2020, if someone had said to you, you know, 100 years ago in 2020, you'll have McKinnon Stakes Day run at Flemington in front of empty grandstands and races that you can't bet on, yeah. you'd have had them in straitjackets. Yeah. But that's, it's just been absolutely uh, unbelievable. Incredible. You know, I like racing for bookmaking as well. Yeah, bookmakers, that's right. There are people that will put their house on the line for 70 seconds and then do it again 40 minutes later, seven times a day. Yeah, it's true, bookmakers, salad sandwiches and gymnasiums, yeah, they're all strangers to each other. One day, a prominent bookmaker by the name of Bob Kelly down at Flemington suddenly had a heart attack and died. And the young bloke that was on the rails that had been learning the ropes was given the uh, very melancholy duty of going around to Bob's house and informing his wife of the very sad passing. Knocked <laughs> on the door, she answered and said, hello, can I help you? He said, are you Bob Kelly's widow? She said, no, my husband's not dead. That's not true. He looked at her and said, I'll give you a hundred. <laughs> but uh, anyway, anyway, I also, I'm also led to believe, Lee, that you do a pretty good um, rendition of the 2015 Melbourne Cup. That's um, it's an odd, odd thing to bring up, actually. Um, I, I don't know how you would have, how you would have um, heard about that. But uh, funnily enough, um, yeah, even though it has been some time now um, since that Melbourne Cup. but Plucked it out of thin air. It plucked, yeah, no, good, good guess. Um, no, Greg, Greg Miles um, was one of my favourite commentators. He just had a, a wonderful voice and... And I, you know, growing up, I'd, I'd hear races a lot and, and just be amazed at how horse race commentators can just call an entire race that don't um or are or, or pause to, to see which horse they're, they're calling. And they just do that race after race. And I think it's a it's an amazing thing. I don't know how they do it. But yeah, Greg Miles, he just was uh, such a, a good commentator. And obviously, the Melbourne Cup is one of my favourite days of the year. And the, the 2015 Melbourne Cup was, for everyone listening, it was where uh, Prince of Penzance won. It had Michelle Payne as the jockey. And it won it at some of the longest odds that have been won in the Melbourne Cup before. And I'd watched that race over and over and over again. And it got to the point where I'd, you know, I'd be having a shower and just be calling the start of the race because I'd, I'd heard the race so many times. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I just, you know, if I watched it a few more times, um, I could possibly learn the entire call and it was fun to do you know I, I enjoyed doing it anyway that became a bit of a a bit of a a, a big task well I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you what lee i'll i'll lead you in as an intro to you at the track and you're about to put the 1050s on them and call the 2015 melbourne cup and you can give us your best shot so uh so so here we go it's the japanese horse fame game that's the five dollar favorite and there's been late money for trip to paris 
Ed Dunlop's European here, who ran so well in the Caulfield Cup behind Mongolian Khan. Prince of Penzance, gee, he'd only become the fourth horse in history to win at 101-plus. We had the Pearl in 1871, Wotan in 1939, and then later Old Rolly in 1940. You don't see too many salute at those odds, but by God, track was butchered to the shithouse the other day on Derby Day, and it's a total one-lane fence. Okay, Lee, the 155th Melbourne Cup, sponsored by Emirates. Thanks, Simon. So we're all ready now for the running of the 2015 Emirates Melbourne Cup set. They're off. Trip to Paris jump well. So did the author and fame game being eased in the early part of the race. Away pretty quickly, who shot the bomb and Sartorius Criterion? Max Dynamite, not too far away, down towards the inside. They're quite prominent. Over towards the outside, Quest for More is riding forward. Big Orange maintaining his line with excess knowledge on his outside, but they're both heading up towards the front running horses. It's quite a bunch field, not a tremendous amount of speed about him in the early part. Fame Game has gone right back and is about four or five behind him in his outside ambling quick. Quest for More had pushed down to the rails and he has the lead, but they're not going particularly fast. Quest for More being joined by Big Orange. Excess knowledge on his outside. He's posted deep without any cover. Snow Sky Pink Cap is fourth and Criterion getting a good run with trip to Paris behind him. A length and a half who shot the barman, Max Dynamite, and then Sky Hunter on the outside. About a length and a half at the back in the field is Bondi Beach, Prince of Penzance and Grand Marshal. And then back behind those horses then is our Ivan Ho being followed by Hocko Braid, Red Cadeau, Satorius, The Offer. A length gust of wind. And then real back in the field is the United States and Fame game. And back behind those horses then is our Moon with Hartnell, Preferment at the outside, and then King Fisher, he's at the tail end of the field. So, so they make their way around the riverside of the course now. And the field is being led by Big Orange now. He leads by two lengths. Excess Knowledge is second. Questmore is third. Snow Sky is fourth. And Criterion getting a beautiful trail fist. And they make their way to the 1600. Next, Max Dynamite being posted a little bit deep there in the Sky Hunter out on the outside, being followed by Hocko Grave. A link further back is Red Cadeau. And then came Grand Marshal. He'd be dead set middle of the field at the moment, uh, being followed by the offer on the outside as I make way around the final turn. Now, Bane Game, he's gone to the extreme outside with the offer. Big Orange, first for home from Excess Knowledge is here's who shot the barman. Going for a run on the inside is our Ivanhoe. As they make their way to the 300, here's Prince of Penzance coming down the outside. Prince of Penzance for Michelle Payne. Now Max Dynamite starts to charge home. Prince of Penzance from Max Dynamite. Prince of Penzance, it's history at going to Michelle Payne. Prince of Penzance beats Max Dynamite. Criterion's on third, they're neither the offer trip to Paris. Criterion, fame game didn't run on. Michelle Payne has made history at Flemington. The first lady to win the Melbourne Cup. Number 19, Prince of Penzance has won the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. That's excellent, mate. Excellent. And, and Lee, that, you, you've memorised that word for word because that's exactly what Greg Miles said. He said it's history at Flemington, Michelle Payne. Those exact words. You've memorised the damning word for word. Memorise even where he's got the R's in there as well. There is a section there and I had to remember that R because it's part of <laughs> The only way you remember it is by remembering the previous thing before that, and then you've got to just keep keep tacking it on. Well, the, the only thing I will say, Lee, is if, if on the back of this you ever get a phone call from a bloke called Russell Vetch offering you a job, <laughs> don't fucking turn up. It's, he's full of shit, that bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Lee, I'm very impressed with that. That's a really good race call, mate. That's excellent. They say race callers are born, they're not made, you know. It's, it's a hard art. Thank you. It took It took over a year to learn that. 
So um, I I thought stuff at trying to learn the the next couple of Melbourne Cups because I was going to take they'd all be banking on on top of each other. What a what a shame! Hey hey, it's Saturday and Red Faces isn't still going. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd, I'd get gonged off straight away. Yeah, Simon. One of the funniest moments of that uh, that call was that when we're at the 2018 Trans Tasman Fistball Championships, there was just a pause in play, and uh, someone got Lee on the mic. Uh, for the on the PA and he just started calling this race and I just remember I was inside I think getting lunch or something and I could just hear it and it sounded like a horse race was going on outside and just the the mass confusion of everyone around just looking around going because then everyone in the crowd started cheering as he was getting closer and closer to the end and people were just there we're in the middle of nowhere how the hell is there a horse race going on right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, everyone was up on the pitch and, and, and cheering yeah, you ought to be you ought to be like Michael Winslow from Police Academy. <laughs> Just finish it off with a nice machine gun noise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's terri- that's terrific, mate. I think it was me and Paul Trask were on the were commentating, <laughs> and it was at the end of the end of the match, and we got him in. But um, yeah, no, that that uh, that was the mass confusion of a whole bunch of Kiwis, <laughs> and now it'll be mass confusion for a whole bunch of Germans <laughs> listening to this podcast. <laughs> right, Crudy, what uh, what do you got next for us? Uh, I don't even know. I hadn't thought this far ahead. The whole thing was all a bit of a plan. I was like, oh, we'll get him in. We'll do a race call. And then that was as far as the plan went. After that, it was uh, it's just seat of the pants stuff at this point. So I, I do have a question for Simon, actually. I, I have noticed on, on Sky Radio there hasn't been much fistball talk on there. I'm just wondering, is, is the sport not big enough in, in Australia? Is there, you know, what would it take? What would it take to get the bookies to offer some odds on on games around the world. The tab will bet on absolutely anything. The tab <laughs> will bet on anything. The only reason that they're not betting on fistball is because they probably don't realise it exists. But once we get <laughs> once we get it into the limelight and they realise that it's a sport, honestly, mate, they'll be betting on it. First fist into the goal, uh, your three fist charge. If you get two fists and then you get a bonus fist to the back fist there. And, oh, mate, they'll take full advantage. Don't worry about that. They'll be betting on every second of the match. I don't know where you learned all the lingo from, but you were spot on with, with all your terms there. Um, no, I, I, I entirely agree. I think that no one, no one pretty much outside of our circle here really knows about fistball. So um, it's probably no wonder that the tab, um, once they get their power back up, we'll, we can get in contact with them. Yes, we'll do that for sure. Boys, if I could just leave you with one story as well. We've heard that tremendous call from the 2015 Melbourne Cup, the Prince of Penzance one from Michelle Payne. Darren Weir, he's the first trainer in history that's dabbled with using illicit substances to try and get the very best out of their racing animal. In fact, quite a few years ago, there was a steward, a local country tracker, suspected one of his local trainers had been using a few little performance enhancers to help his horses along, and he thought, you know, I'm going to catch him out. Sure enough, the horses come in, the steward's watching this trainer, he wanders over to his horse, he slips something into his pocket, feeds his horse something, and the, uh, the archer strolls to him. What'd you just give that horse? I saw you! What'd you give him? The trainer goes, what, what, these? Puts his hand to his pocket, pulls out a couple of things, he goes, these? Oh, these are just mints. My horse loves them, I love them. Yeah, have one. You have one, no, I have one, the horse has one. That's all they are, there's nothing to worry about. They're just mints. Anyway, the suspicious steward sort of wanders up. He goes, I got my eye on you. And the trainer goes down to his jockey, he mounts him up on the horse. He says to his jockey, right, the instructions today are very simple. I want you to go to the front and don't let anything get past me. Jockey says, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but what if something does get past me? The trainer says, don't worry, it'll only be me or the chief steward. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
love it. Well, one of the other things that we we did say we're going to try and do, Simon, just given your uh, your beautiful uh, radio voice, and over the next few days we're going to send you a couple of classic fistball points. We might get you to do some some commentary for us uh, for some fistball points, and then we'll um we'll put them up on the on our uh, on our Facebook page. I know you don't actually know that much about fistball, but we sort of almost think that is almost part of the fun. As we'll just let you go nuts with it, a bit like um Roy and HG commentating the gymnastics at the Olympics, where they don't really know what's going on, but it, it's it's fun for all for anyway. So we'll um. We'll get you in there, but uh, thanks you very much for coming along. It's been good fun. Oh, absolutely. Yep. No, I'd, I'd love to do that. Send it through. I'll do the commentary. We'll we'll do it. We'll biff it off. We'll do it again. Hey, who knows? By the end of this six month tenure, I could be a bloody fish world uh, you know, expert. You. That would be fantastic if you were. That's um, <clears throat> and it's a top sport too. So yeah, commentate a few games and then um, you'll be hooked on it. Yeah. Now I'll give it a go. My, my my left side will be a bit shorthand, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for stopping by, Simon. It was just so fortuitous that you just happened to be just waiting by the phone and messaged me just at this time when we needed you. But uh, uh, thanks for coming. It's been good fun. We'll um, we'll see you down at uh, Flemington when you get us in for the for the race call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, now we'll do it. We'll do it again, boys. Man, it's been good fun. Fantastic. No worries. Thanks, Simon. Cheers, boys. Have a good night. I'll see you later. Fist. All right. Thanks for that little uh, extra segment from Simon there. Um, we should probably finish off with uh, our shout-outs. Does anyone want to start? Mal, do you have a shout-out that you want to send out? I'll give a shout-out to Simon for, for coming on for tonight. That was um, that was nice of him. He's, uh, he's a fantastic fellow. Yeah, I, just, I happened to randomly meet in a pub yeah, 10, 15 years ago. I can't remember long, how long ago it was now, but yeah, well, it's sort of maintain a good friendship with him and yes he doesn't he's a very busy guy he works very hard with with sky racing and he he doesn't really know anything about fistball but i was like oh do you want to come and do a podcast with us and he was like yeah of course mate so and then he's been sitting around waiting for us for half the night till we caught him up so um so a big shout out to simon he's a he's a ripping fella so um so thanks for that and um and then obviously i think you might have mentioned Billy, but the obligatory shout out to um to benny the sasquatch whisperer giles um yeah, we uh, we got to give him a mention in every show. So um, yeah, shout out to Benny too. Um, Lee, do you have any shout outs? Yeah, I do. I've got a, a couple. I'll rip through them because there's a few I'd like to mention. Firstly, like I, I mentioned, the time we spent in in Unter uh, Hochstedt and and Volderstadt was really good, and we we're very well looked after there. So to to Stefan Kosh and, and Sebastian and and the rest of the the team there who looked after us. Yeah, shout out to them. Uh, to Elmar, uh, he invited us actually to his house um, after looking after our team in Switzerland in uh, the, the World Championships. He was our our guide, and he, he went above and beyond to make sure that we were really made to feel welcome. And he, he showed us around his his town, and his school, and showed us his fistball gear, and invited us to his house and made us reclet as well. And I've had reclet um, quite a few times since then, and really really look forward to it. So shout out to Elmar, to Ollie Speck on the, the German team. Um, Ollie just, every time I I go overseas, and, um, he's just spends a lot of time just, um, yeah, making me feel welcome. So uh, he's, we've swapped a few tops. Um, he always goes out of his way to, to say hi. So um, shout out to Ollie. And uh, to Dale, listening at Ireland, um, one of the uh, original members of the, the Fist and the Furious. So um, get out of Dale. And also to Bianca as well. Bianca was really good in you know helping our team for, for the past two years i think traveling to australia and 
gave us a lot of a lot of help and guidance and, and coaching. So she was with our team the uh, the entire time at the World Championships, and then then left, and we haven't seen her since. So shout out to Bianca, and that's yeah, nice. That's me. Uh, I have decidedly less shout outs than that. My my shout out goes out to Marcus. Uh, I'm sorry, Marcus. I've never had to say your last. It's like a lot of people on this podcast that I've read their last name so many times, and then I so I think I know how to say it, and then I go to say it, and I realize I've never actually said it out loud. But it's Marcus uh, Badama, I think. He's a German bloke who came out to Melbourne back in early 2016. Uh, really nice bloke. We caught up uh, at the pub. Had a good chat. He was living the uh, the Australian backpacker life. He was uh, I don't know where he went after Melbourne, but every time I checked, he was always um, you know he'd grown his hair long. He was uh, polishing surfboards. He was lying in a hammock. He was driving around in like a converted van, you know, combi van thing, and uh, living the life. But he actually came and saw us when we were in a Wiedestad in the lead up to the World Champs, and just said good day. He actually um, he used to play for TSV Dinark as well. But anyway, he he listened to the last episode. He, um, I don't know where he is right now, but he sent me a photo just to prove that he was enjoying it over a Bundy and Coke. So uh, nice. the angry man juice. <laughs> I'm not sure if he went outside and uh, smashed something after that, but uh, he said he enjoyed the episode. So I just wanted to give him a shout out as well. All right. So I guess that concludes our very bizarre episode, which was probably about 50% horse racing <laughs> and 50% physical. <laughs> but uh, definitely a unique one after the Nick Trinamaya one, and I hope everyone came back for it and we'll continue on. Yeah, no, that was really good. Yeah, there's going to be so many people who, who did the first, who did the last one, and think, oh, wow, this is this cutting-edge fistball <laughs> podcast, and then it'll come in, it's just 45 minutes of talking about horse racing. <laughs> But anyway, as long as we're having fun. Yeah, and for those people, I'd say we have we do have some other guests lined up in the next um, couple of episodes as well that will uh, some international fistballers, so stick around for that. I mean, you'll see the post anyway, but stick around for it. Uh, Lee, any final thoughts or anything? Uh, no, look, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, it's been really good fun, and it's so enjoyable just sitting around talking about fistball, isn't it? Mm. So thanks for, thanks for getting me along, and yeah, more than happy to to be back at some stage once you've gone through obviously the uh, the, the more competent fistballers and you, you start <laughs> start having to come around to repeats <laughs> now the way i see it is like nick was the step up to the top and you're at the pinnacle and now we're just going to make our way down until we run out of really good fistballers so <laughs> don't mark yourself down lee well i guess then we'll, we'll sign off with a with an uru and a, and a fist on thanks guys uh, always a pleasure thanks for coming on lee yes uru Thanks, guys. See you soon, mate. Cheers. Uru, fist on. Fist on. Fist on. Uru. Fist. Fist.